Happy Mother's Day to so many of you and to all who gathered this morning with that sense of hope and possibility in remembering, in celebrating mom today. For those of you that will take the opportunity to uh, greet mom on FaceTime today, those who sent cards, those who have received them, all who are a part of this interchange, not unlike the video, of the hope and the possibility of what this day might mean. Happy Mother's Day to you all. Mother's Day has a really fascinating history to me. The woman on your left is Julia Ward Howe. You might not recognize her face, but you know her writing. She's the author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And that song and her hope for Mother's Day in the 19th century came out of a longing for Mothering Day to reflect a pattern of peace. That her prayer was for moms who were burying sons and husbands in light of the war that surrounded them. Imagine a Mother's Day rooted not just in flowers and in FaceTime and cards and in possibility, but in that longing to say there are moms who have become widows, moms who have lost sons, moms who grieve. There has, throughout its history, been a partnership with that idea of the blessing and the goodness of Mother's Day and its struggle. The woman to the right is a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis. She's United Methodist in West Virginia in 1908. She got together the, the funding and the publicity to get a national Mother's Day declared. Her vision, too, was one to celebrate peace and the nurturing potential that mothers provide to the American society. So much so that by the time it got so much more commercialized in much the way we celebrate it now, Anna was very disappointed. She wanted to remember the legacy of her own mom in the way that some of you come this day remembering a mother that you have lost, who shaped you deeply for good or for bad. Anna wanted that too. And as it became more about just the platitude and the saying of Happy Mother's Day, it lost some of its authenticity and its power to both Anna and Julia before her. Because it's entirely possible to come to Mother's Day when Mother's Day is easy. I stand before you from a place of privilege. I won the Mother's Day lottery. I have the best moms in my life. My birth mother, Carla Ewell, I've told you her story before. You all know that if you all hate me tomorrow and you never say another prayer for me the rest of my life, I know at least one person is praying for me. Because Carla Ewell always will deeply indebted to the legacy of my stepmom, Marilyn Maddock, and the ways that she shaped my story, my legacy, and my integrity. I've been floored by watching Camille as a mom, that for the last 20 plus years to see how she's not only been mothering our children, but in her drama ministries, and her youth ministries, and her Sunday school ministries, and all the things that she's done throughout the course of her career, she's gathered the children under her wings in love and hope and possibility. I've had it easy. They're all at fingertips length. I can talk to them all today. I can share my love. I haven't blown my chance and opportunity. Mother's Day is easy for me, but there are those for whom Mother's Day is hard. Maybe this is your first Mother's Day without mom. Maybe it's your first Mother's Day in a while where you've realized, I do miss mom. Maybe you have a past that is one of strain and one of strife, one of struggle and deep division. Maybe you can point to the day, point to the fight where things went so askew 
that that relationship was fractured. Maybe you've lost something to physical distance, to time, to change. Maybe you, like some of the women from my past I've known in churches who simply refuse to come to church on Mother's Day because mothering is such a deep pain for them because of their physical struggles to conceive that it just seemed not to be something that was possible for them. Maybe, maybe you're here on Mother's Day and it's not easy or perfect, but it feels right because you are a mother of choice to someone, a mother of adoption or serving that role for another. Mother's Day is a complicated day. And in Camille's prayer, in the video we shared, and in this moment, we're going to name those women who fill that role for us, that mothering that our worship leader mentioned. That it's not always a function of genetics, but sometimes it can be a pattern of life or spirituality. For me, that has often been women in the church who have taught me something about how I live my life of faith, an area where I need to grow or where I've come up short, who have offered to pray for me, who have offered to teach me, who have given me strength, who have preached the sermons that have shaped who I am. Women who have come alongside and offered me the wisdom and nurture of their life and experience to help me grow as a human being. One of them's here this morning. Now, Nicole, I don't think you think of yourself as a mother to me. You're not that old. You are a sister in faith and a dear friend, but you and Michelle and your work here were a part of the mothering of the ministry that Camille and I get to inherit and for all of the work that we'll do in the years to come, and I am grateful for you. Happy Mother's Day. Our next series is on Family Matters. And if you're of an age to remember the show from 89 to 98 where Steve Urkel said, did I do that, right? Not what I mean. What I mean is, is that this is a time between now and Father's Day for us as a church to talk about what it means to be a family of faith and how we do that in a way that counts, that matters. Because our work as a family of faith is transformative in our world, that it makes space for those who are in need, where it greets those who are vulnerable, who are struggling, where it gives the time and the energy to hear people where they are. Our Family Matters series will be an opportunity to unpack the ways in which our families of origin and the families we live in now make us us. Because it's true that families shape and define us. There's no other way to think about it. You learned important things about who you are, how you think, how you speak, how you see the world from the family you grew up in. For good or for bad, by adoption or by the system, by two parents or blended families, however you come to today, your families have shaped who you are. You've inherited from your biological parents generational issues be they of body and health, a proclivity for mental health issues, as we talked about earlier, or maybe trauma and struggle, broken patterns of seeing how we treat each other in the world. They're all a part of how we inherit things, but we also are shaped and defined by our families in the ways in which we celebrate things, those things that we enjoy, those places we like to see, those spots we call home because it's where we were reared, it's where we grew up, it's where we feel some sense of rootedness. Families shape and define us because they teach us something about our priorities and our values. 
Families are about teaching children, grandchildren, partners in life about the things we put first. The order we put things in in our lives and those things we hold to be true. How we spend our time together and apart. How we spend our money on ourselves, on our church, or on others. How we practice our faith in our participation in church life, or even in our homes, maybe over the blessing of the meals, or how that faith informs how we see and treat others. How we prioritize things and how we value things is shaped by our families, and we are sowing those into the families that we currently shepherd ourselves. And it's important to realize that families matter and count. As I have two children, 17 and 20, and my kids have heard me say again and again that there are things that I expect of them, things I long for them to be. Not because they're double pastor's kids, not double PKs. Not because they're both grandfathers are pastors. Not because they're Christians and baptized. Not because of anything else. There are times in life where I say family matters and there are things that you do or simply do not do because you are a Maddox. And Maddox care for people. We're generous. We're kind. We include the stranger and the outcast. And to not do that violates what matters to us as a family. Because families reinforce and teach patterns. They teach a sense of morality, those things that we believe are just and right and true. It's why the family of faith and the church works is such a great metaphor for our understanding of our community together because we're enforcing those things that we hold to be just and right and true, how we welcome others, how we encourage one another, how we forgive one another, how we practice grace. Those are patterns in life and moral issues that are reinforced in the family and hopefully taught in the church. Your family pattern of how you grew up taught you something about how spouses and partners are to be treated. How children, nieces, nephews, or your own are meant to be treated. How older generations are meant to be respected or not. How to treat your neighbors, your classmates, and probably most importantly, how it is you treat the stranger. Those who are different by race, class, creed, confession, and identity. If you grew up around a pattern that reinforced misogyny, bigotry, or hatred, those are difficult patterns to break because family matters and it teaches us something about who we are. Because at the end of the day, families are all about relationship. And I believe that we are created to be in relationship with our God and with one another. And those two planes of connecting with one another, I believe, define us. They shape who we are and a knowledge of whose we are. And it reorients us in the world when we know our relationship with God and we know our relationship with others. And to realize that some of that, some of that needs some work because of where we find ourselves in any given moment. And that's where we step into our gospel passage this morning. What happens when we feel like our orientation with the world is such that we don't recognize ourselves anymore? How do we get back on track? How do we rebuild this sense of responsibility and a connection either with our own family or with the family of faith? And so I want to share a resurrection story 
about the apostle Peter. Jesus has invited them to have breakfast on the shore side, to eat some fish which they have caught in abundance. And it reads in this way. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Quick pause button. Picture what you want in this story. Is it a Jesus who points to breakfast and food that Peter needs to love more than? Is it a sweeping gesture of these other disciples who all claim to love Jesus and have gathered around this fireside? What kind of test is Jesus making here? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Unpause. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep, tend my sheep. A third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter responded, Lord, you know all things. Surely you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then this moment. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Easter is a season of resurrection, yes, but it's also a season of restoration. For all the ways in which the founders of Mother's Day wanted to honor mothers that they had lost or patterns of broken lives, it can be an opportunity for us to remember that this is a time about bringing together and putting the pieces back together. Peter's struggle in Peter's story is that he has denied Jesus in the crucifixion. He turned his back on Jesus with three questions. Surely you're a Galilean. Surely I saw you with him. Surely you follow him. And three times over before the rooster crows, Peter says, I don't know him. And it becomes a moment of heartbreak where Jesus turns and looks to Peter and Peter realizes what he'd done. He breaks down into tears and there is such a sense of tension, of brokenness and loss in that one human soul. Have I blown it? How did he know I would? And yet there is this beachside story where Jesus will ask Peter three times in the way that he was asked three times to deny about his pattern of love. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I know you. Tend my flock. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. I sure hope you know I love you. And feed my sheep. He is offered an opportunity to come back, to have grace fill his life again, to know that his denial was not his final answer and the broken patterns were not who he needed to be. And the great thing I love about this story is that Peter is given a new role in this forgiveness. Jesus says, follow me, tend my sheep. 
His role is going to shift. His new identity is going to go from being the rock and this kind of thick-headed, stubborn, upon my shoulders you will build the church and to grow into a new dynamic of nurturing the birth of the early church and helping them to know the fullness of the kingdom of God. His new identity is found because Jesus will greet him with grace and mystery that despite his struggles, despite the way he's blown up, he offers finally and again, finally and again, a hope to follow. Finally, because there are times in our lives where even though we've heard it again and again, finally this is the time where we need to hear, follow me, trust me, love me, and I will make you feed my sheep and tend my flock. And again, because Peter's heard this call before, multiple times, to trust, obey, and to follow. And so finally, again, he's invited into a new role and an identity. He goes from just preacher and learner to be a shepherd and a feeder. So church, I want to talk to you on Mother's Day about being the family of faith. That this is a place where we have the opportunity, yes, to reinforce healthy patterns. We get to be able to say to those places where we feel and we see like God is doing the right and good thing in our families and in our lives to give it a yes and a blessing. But it's not a place where we reinforce patterns that are unhealthy because we gloss over them and simply refuse to address them. We're called to reinforce that work that God has for us to be a kingdom of peace, to be bridge makers to be faithful welcomers, to greet people in the midst of their faith journey, their faith story, or even their faith struggle and their faith despair. Because in the same way that families create patterns, the church as a family that matters has the opportunity to create and reinforce new healthy patterns in people. That's what forgiveness is. That we have the chance to say, yes, your family of origin has been broken. Yes, your family experience has been hurtful. Yes, the choices of your journey, your addiction, your patterns of life have been less than fruitful. But here is a new way, and I will walk with you down that path. That's when the family of faith matters. It's when we turn our focus away from being consumers of what God has in store for us in our lives, and to realize that we are called to be feeders and tenders of the flock. God's got a new role for you and for me, my brothers and sisters. So what do we do on Mother's Day? Well, when we cling to a vision for what motherhood can be, in the power of its nurture, its comfort, its care, its ability to bind up wounds, to encourage, to sing songs of hope back and forth across the generations as we saw here today. That's the potential of motherhood. And it's the potential of the life of faith and the family of Christ that is made real here. Keep coming back. Because this is the family of God where we have the opportunity to lift our eyes to see a new way of doing things where no one is alone, 
where we are all showered in God's grace and mercy, where we will know forgiveness and know love that we can be a people who forgive and show love to the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.